Amen. Thank you for being here today. I know this is Thanksgiving weekend. My name is Rick Swing. I'm the executive pastor here. And uh, those who may not know me, I've been here, I don't know, 12, 13 years. Um, It seems like only like two years I've been here. So it's gone by fast. Um, And it's been a joy. Our pastor, Pastor Kenneth, is on vacation with his family during the holidays. So you pray for them as they travel back here in the next day that uh, you give them safety in their travels. Like, you know, we all know that he's got a village he travels with. So, um, you know, my wife and I, when we would travel, we would literally leave like at at midnight so our kids would sleep in the van wherever we went. And um, so it was hassle-free and it was easy. Um, So pray for him as they travel back. He'll be back in the pulpit next week. So it's my joy to be here today. With you, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John, um, and we're going to be in chapter 14 today. Now, I, as, as some of you know, I'm kind of a new grandparent, all right? My, my grandpa's name is Coach, and um, it's, it's apropos, because that's kind of what I always do, is, is coach my family. And... Um, and, and so it's been a joy. We, we celebrated two-year, uh, their second birthday of our granddaughter, Elliot. And so if they're listening, amen to that. That was fun on Friday. And, um, and we have a three-month-old or four-month-old little Graham uh, from Josh and Aaron, the same family. And <clears throat> this happened this past week. Um, I, I got the chance to be the babysitter, okay, on this, like Friday, a week ago Friday. And listen, I, I, let me just tell you, you moms out there, I have no idea how you do it um, without killing somebody along the way. Um, but I, I, was, I was babysitter for those two, all right, on a Friday. Well, my wife comes around lunch from school to help me, uh, like, let's go to lunch. So where my son and daughter-in-law live in Cabo Heights, it's just a short walk to one of the restaurants, there's an Ashley Mack restaurant right down the street. So we decide to take a walk, right? So the two-year-old gets in the stroller, and I decide that I'm going to carry, all right, I'm going to carry the four-month-old. Now, now, it's not a normal four-month-old. It's like a big four-month-old. And, um, and they have this apparatus that we never had when I had kids that, that you can, like, buckle them into you. So there is this, this apparatus that my son helped me put on, and then Graham sat right here, right? And I decided I couldn't look at him the whole way, so I turned him around so he's facing out. So I have this, I don't know, 20-pound human being that can't even keep his head up, right, sitting in front of me, and we're going to walk about three-quarters of a mile uphill to the restaurant. So I'm walking, and, and I don't know why my mind thinks this way, but this is what I was thinking. So I've got this child who's helpless. I'm holding his head like this. I'm bent over halfway like this, just trying to keep my back straight. And I begin to think, so what happens if I trip? I don't know why I'm thinking that. But I start thinking, what happens if I trip? This child, and I'm like not a slender 200, okay? I'm like a big 200 plus, I'm going to squish his child. So I'm thinking, what do I have to do? So in my mind, I'm already thinking that if I start to go down, there's going to be this swift to my back, right, lay out so the child is protected. Isn't that what you do when you love somebody? Right? You'll put yourself at risk to protect somebody else. 
And if you love something, you'll do whatever you have to to protect that. Well, in John chapter 14, we have this beautiful picture of Jesus teaching his disciples. Now, they're in the upper room, and so Jesus has this time as they have this last supper. Now, Jesus knows he's going to his death. He's tried to communicate this to his disciples, that he's no longer going to be with them along the way. And Jesus has this wonderful conversation of teaching these disciples these last words, these last words that he had. Now, don't you think that those very last words that Jesus would share with his disciples would be really, really important? Yeah. Jesus knows that in a matter of just not very long that the disciples that he's trained for several years are going to be on their own. He won't be there in their presence, but the Holy Spirit will come. And he's going to charge them to go out and to take this gospel of Jesus to the world. So I would imagine these last few moments that Jesus has are really, really, really important. So we see in chapter 13, in chapter 14, Jesus talking to his, to his disciples and sharing all these truths with him. And he comes to verse 15. And this is what he says. He said, if you love me, you will keep my what? Commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, here's what's interesting about chapter 14. He doesn't say that just once. Jesus says this three times. Just turn over to verse 23. Jesus answered, and then he says, if anyone loves me, disciples... He will keep my word. Verse 24, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. Now, sometimes we will hear this, and I think what goes through to our hearts is this harsh Jesus who's, who's given this, this one last command to his disciples and saying, listen, guys, if you truly love me, you'll be perfect. You'll never make a mistake. Listen, that's not the context. Jesus knows his, disciple, his disciples love him. I mean, they've been with, with him through thick and thin, right? They, they, they've been with him in the highest of moments, and they've been with him in the lowest of moments. And they've been with him when everybody else deserted Jesus. They stuck it out. Jesus knew that they loved him, but Jesus was preparing them to be there without him. He's going, listen, there's going to be hard times that's going to come in your life. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be people, there's going to be people who are going to try to kill you for what you're saying. I want you to know, just keep loving me by just keep holding on to my commands. That word keep in the Greek language is this word that means to guard or to hold fast. And that word command there is this picture of God's precepts, Jesus' precepts, or his truths that he shared with his disciples along the way. In other words, what Jesus was saying here in verse 15, he was saying, if you love me, guys, if you truly love me, you will guard and hold fast these truths that I have given to you. Because there's going to be a blessing along the way, 
and there's going to be peace because of that. You know, so often we allow this world to influence us how much, we allow this world to influence how much we are willing to guard or to hold fast these precepts or these commands of God in our lives. We compromise, we make excuses, when we rationalize, rationalize away the things that God commands us. And I can hear Jesus now saying, stop, stop it. Don't let the world take this away from you. Don't rationalize the truths of my commands of something I'm asking you to do just because you live in this world. Guard it. Protect it. Hold fast to it. So I begin thinking, when I was preparing this sermon, I begin thinking, so if I was one of Jesus' disciples and he was telling me, Rick, in a moment, very shortly, I'm not going to be with you. But I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help you along the way. And when I do that, I want you to hold fast when times are tough. I begin to think, so what kind of characteristics would the disciples need to have to hold fast to God's commands? What would it require of a disciple? What would it require of us today to hold fast to his commands? I picked four things. I'm sure there's 20 of them we could pick. Here's four quick things I think that we should require to have in our lives, to hold fast, to guard the truths of God's word in our life. The first is faith. And faith is an inward knowledge of the power of Jesus to cover all my inadequacies and failures. Isn't that faith? Faith to know that Jesus died for all the mistakes and all the junk in my life. Not only past and not only present, but he did that for my future as well. That's faith. It's faith. In fact, even here in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's faith. Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the first requirement that we need to have as a people of God to hold fast to his commands is this picture of faith. How strong is your faith in your life? Here's the second thing, trust. Trust. Trust is an outward expression, just like faith is an inward knowledge. Trust is an outward expression of your inward knowledge. It is how you live your life. In other words, if I truly believe that Jesus, the one who gave me this faith through grace, can cover all of my failures and all my sin and all the, the, the junk in my life, I should be able to live this life in a way that is impactful and makes a difference. That's trusting what Jesus has already done. John 14, 12 says, the one who believes in me, Jesus is speaking, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these. Do we have the kind of faith? Do we have the kind of trust in our life? And then the third one is, do we have humility? And humility is to truly understand, and I think this is good because I struggle with this one, to truly understand that you are not in charge of your life. Amen? I mean, if we could just get that simple concept to know that I'm not in charge of my life, I can live this life a little bit more freer, right? I'm not in charge. 
And so to be humble is to understand that I'm not in charge. And it says in Proverbs 3 that he gives grace to the humble, and we all need grace because we all stumble. And we scrape our knees. And by the way, it doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're not trying to keep his commands. Grace is there. We need to be humble. And here's the first requirement, I think, the fourth requirement we need to hold fast to his commands. And that's the requirement of endurance. It's not a sprint, right? It's a marathon that we're in in this thing called faith. Endurance is the ability to literally pick yourself up and keep going when you fall. Will we fall? The answer is yes. You at home, you will fall, you will stumble, you will make mistakes, you will sin. The question is, do you have this endurance to say, I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to continue walking towards that cross? Romans 5, Paul writes, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope in one's life. we got to have faith. you got to have trust. You, you need to be humble, and there needs to be this picture of endurance in your life. The disciples had all four of those and many others, which would allow them to have this picture of walking with Jesus no matter what, obeying and following his commands. So what are some commands? You may say, well, Rick, there's a lot of commands in the Bible. Amen? There's a lot. I picked four commands in the Bible that I think as I, and this is for Rick, as I enter 2021 in just a few days, that these are four commands for Rick, and hopefully they apply to you, that I say, I need to make sure that I hold fast to these in my life. Because it shows a picture of love. Here's command number one. Four commands to guard and hold fast in your life. Number one is the word of God in your life. To hold fast and to guard and protect the word of God in your life. When I was an athlete, we used to run this drill. It was a rebounding drill. And the basketball was the valuable piece. In other words, that was the, that was the thing that you didn't want your opponent to get. So we had to box out and make sure that basketball was only gotten by us. So we'd have this drill, literally, there'd be three or four of us, and he'd throw it off the backboard. And there I am on the defensive side, so the offensive guy is trying to get to the ball, and I've got to keep him away. And literally, I'm just, I'm in the stance, and I'm finding, and I'm moving my feet, and I'm keeping him from getting to the ball. It's so true in our life when it comes to the Word of God. Protect it in your life. Guard it in your life. Hold fast to the things of God in your life. Psalm 119.11 says this. King David writes and he says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I want you to think about that concept for just a moment. So if, if I treasure, if I hold fast to the word of God in my life, and if it keeps me from sinning against God, am I going to be a better husband? Amen? Yes, yes, because if I'm not sinning against God, I'm not sinning against my wife. And what do we do? We let sin come into our lives. And the word of God is there to help us stay put and not sin in our life. And we hold the word of God in high esteem so that we might not sin against God and each other. In 2 Timothy 3, 
Timothy writes, all scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is precious, you all. It gives life along the way. And the question always is, am I willing to dig into God's word and make that part of my life? Are you willing to protect that in your life? I was at a filling station, oh, years ago. And um, when I pulled up, the guy that was in front of me at the filling station, so I was at this pump and he was at the pump in front of me, I noticed in his back shelf, there was a Bible on the back shelf of his car. Y'all know those kind of things? You know, they just, so I was pretty excited about that, that, you know, he carries his Bible around. So I, I approached his car and he was pumping gas and I looked at the Bible and it had been like, it had been on the back shelf of that car for years. I mean, the sun had beaten it up. I mean, it was dry. It was tearing up. You couldn't tell what color it was anymore. And I went up to the guy at the pump. I said, I see you got a Bible in the back of your, your car. He goes, Yeah. I said, when was the last time you took that Bible off the shelf of your car and read it? And he got real quiet. And he looked at me and he says, are you a preacher? (laughs) I said, yeah, sort of. He goes, I guess I need to take it off the back shelf and read it. I said, yeah, you need to. I want you to hold fast to the word of God in your life. That God's word, listen, it sustains life. It provides purpose in your life. And it will always produce hope. I want you to think about it. Here's these disciples. They were fixing to be out on their own with the guidance of the Holy Spirit in their life, which was coming to them. They needed something that was going to produce hope in their life, right? They needed to remember back to the things that Jesus taught them along the way of how to persevere, how to deal with those who are angry with you, How to handle people who praise you on the back and pat you on the back. They needed this into their lives. And the word of God, it will always sustain life. It always provides purpose and it produces hope in your life. Hold on to it. Don't set it on a shelf and come to church on a Sunday morning expecting that this is how you're going to receive the word of God. Everybody hear me? Number two. The calling of God in your life. I want you to hold fast, not just the word of God in your life, but I want you to hold fast to the calling of God in your life. So let me ask you a question. So what do you think the king of of this universe has called you and I to do? The one who created all things, what has he called you and I to do in this life? Now, obviously, he's called me to be a husband, and he's called me to be a father. And we praise him that he's actually called me to be a grandfather. But he's also called me to two things I think are really important. One is faithfulness, faithfulness in your life, and the other one is holiness. He's called us to be faithful, and he's called us to be holy. In Revelations 2, Jesus is telling the people in the church at Smyrna, and he says this, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I don't want any of us to ever think 
that being faithful is old-fashioned. It's something that your grandparents did or something your great-grandparents did. Being faithful is for us today, and I'll tell you why. Because there's a bunch of little ones that are sitting over here that need to see people who are faithful in their lives. How are they going to know? How are these little ones over here going to know what it looks like to be faithful if they don't see it in our lives first? God's called you and me to be faithful in life. Faithful to his word. Faithful to his church. Faithful to his people. It's not hard. It just takes work. It takes priorities in our life, right? What's more important? He's called you to be faithful and he's called you to be holy in your life. In 1 Peter 1, he writes, But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That word conduct there literally means your way or manner of life. How you live your life, that's the conduct. We are to live our lives in a manner that shows that we have been separated from this world. That we're holy and consecrated from this world that wants to pollute you and I. Just as the one true God, listen, I think this is important. Just as the one true God is different, he's been set apart from all those other pagan gods, right? There had to be something different about the holy God that we serve that was different from all those pagan gods. And he's telling you and I to do the very same thing. That how I conduct my life reflects who's in me. How I live my life, the manner of my life, how being holy reflects I am separate from this world. And y'all, it's a battle, isn't it? I mean, it is a battle. So much has changed along the way. I, I, this illustration has nothing to do with this, but this is how much is strange. We were talking over here. I had the deacons over there praying for me. And after we got done praying, they kind of they fist bump, Right? Let me tell you how much has changed. When I was growing up, my dad said, you shake a man's hand, a firm grip, and you look him in the eye. Times have changed, haven't they? I can never, I'll never forget as long as I live on the basketball court. The first time. I mean, we used to literally shake hands with our opponents when we walked out there to jump circle. Of course, I'd be looking in the eye going, man, you are going down today. I'll never forget the first time a guy, the opponent came up and fist pumped me. I was like, oh man, what is that? Man, you're being disrespectful. Times have changed. How you conduct your life sets you apart. Jesus says, be holy because I am holy. It's not a picture of perfection. It's a picture of becoming more like Jesus in your life. So we have the word of God in your life. We have the calling of God in your life that I want you to hold fast to and to guard. And here's number three, the abundance of God in your life. The abundance of God in your life. I could talk about a lot of things that are the abundance of God in your life, like your family. What a blessing, right? I I could talk about your position, your job, and for most of us, what a blessing it is. The time that you have to serve and those kind of things, what a blessing it is. But I really want to talk just about one thing when it comes to the abundance of God in your life, and that's your money. And listen, 
I don't want you to get squirmish, okay? Do you know that more people leave the church over a building campaign than any other reason? Y'all hear me? When churches do building campaigns and they, they want you to sacrifice and give above you, what you're giving then, people leave the church because they want to be told how to handle their money. Y'all. Okay, this is, this, is, this is coach time, all right? Please, I want you to hear me. God doesn't need your money. Y'all hear me? He needs you to keep his command. <laughs> Let me tell you what I worry about today. I'm going to be gone in who, who knows how many years. If God lets me live, let's say I'm gone at 85. That's, that's what is that, 20 more years from now. What happens to the church in 20 years? If you're above the age of 50, and you can stand, okay, so if you're above the age of 50 and you can't stand, you stay seated. But if you're above the age of 50, I want you to stand right now in the worship center. Just stand. Okay, everybody under the, y'all keep standing. Everybody under the age of 50, I want you to look around. Statistics show us that these people right here are the ones, for the most part, who sustain the life of a church when it comes to giving. Y'all hear me? These here provide the majority of funds that come into the church on an annual basis. So what happens when they're no longer here? What happens when they're no longer around and God takes them home to be with him? What happens to the local church? How does the church sustain itself? It sustains itself because everybody under the age of 50 takes their spot. Y'all be seated. Listen, one of the greatest commands in the Bible, I think, is to give God what's, what's his. Because it reflects who owns you. Does Jesus own you or does this world own you? you. I'm going to give you just, a, just some brief statistics about a church. By the way, no one on our staff other than the people in the financial office knows what you give. I don't know. And I do that on purpose. Could I find out? Yeah, I could find out. But I do that on purpose because I never want to look at somebody and go, my goodness, they're not being faithful in this area of their life. I never want to do that because I want to be able to shepherd without any kind of, of thoughts in my head, just to shepherd into love. Amen? That's the way our staff wants to work. Here's a statistic for you. And then I'm going to read a few scriptures. Right now, we have around 430 giving units in our church. Now, we'll average about 1,600 when pre-COVID, about 1,600. Of that 1,600, Probably around 700 families are represented. Right now, we have around 430 giving units that give at least $300 a quarter or $100 per month. Okay, you think about that. Now, obviously, we have a lot of people who give more than that, okay? Or, or we couldn't have a $3 million budget. But are you telling me that out of the 700 families who are here, Listen, I know what the average mean income is here in Alabaster. 
in Shelby County. It's about 70 grand a year. And you equate that to God's word. God's word says give a tenth of it. It's about $7,000 per family. So are, are, are we saying that there are only 430 folks who can give? And by the way, that's not, that's not, that's not being necessarily faithful to God's word of giving a tenth. That's just people who give $300 or more a quarter. And listen, y'all, I'm not saying this to beat you down. God is faithful in our lives. I want you to be blessed. I want you to have this sense of freedom in your life that when you come before Jesus, you know that you are walking with him. That's what I want. And your money oftentimes is a reflection of that in your life. Here's some verses, and we know these verses but I think it's important I share them with you. Malachi 3, 9 and 10. You, talking about the nation of Israel, you are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. In other words, you can't imagine what that blessing would be. And yet, we don't want to test God on it. And he says, go ahead and test me on this. God tells Job in chapter 41 of Job, he says, everything under heaven belongs to me. In Luke 12, verse 15, he then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Your possessions should not identify who you are. It should not give you your identity because it can be here today and gone tomorrow, right? Y'all, I love you. And I'm not saying this to chastise anybody. But I want you to know, and I had this conversation with somebody a week ago. And we were praying. And he's somebody that I respect. And he says to me, he says, Rick, I got you. I got a question for you. He says, how do I stop having fear about my money? <laughs> I said, you mean like fear about giving your money away? He goes, yeah. I said, it's a great question. It's a great question. It comes down to who you're going to trust, right? We trust God. We trust the world. Which one do I trust in my life? God who owns it all or the world who wants to take it all? <laughs> who am I going to trust? I pray that we want to trust our Lord and Savior. See, back in my day when we were growing up, when I said I had this concern about the future of the church, it's because back in my day, we literally taught our kids, my dad, my mom, how to give. Every Sunday, my dad would give me a dollar bill. He'd give it one to my brother and my sister. And when the offering plate came around, what was I to do with that dollar bill? I was to give it, right? So it was this picture of my life that I grew up with every single Sunday that I was supposed to give something to the Lord. Now, I know it was just a dollar, but it began to teach me this, this practical aspect of what giving looks like. Uh, you, some of you are old enough to remember, remember the days that we used to bring our offering in an envelope and bring it to your Sunday school class? Remember those days? You'd actually give in your Sunday school class. 
I can remember as a child having an envelope with some money in it that I gave to my teacher when I was just a grade child, when I was just in grade school. We were taught what it meant to give to the Lord. And let me ask you a real important question. Who's teaching them? Who's teaching them? Is it you? Is it, your grand, is it the grandparents? Who's teaching our children what it means to give back to the Lord? You see my concern, y'all? See where I'm going? Listen, let's hold fast to that, to the abundance of God in your life. Let's hold fast to this picture that, that it's not mine to begin with, it's his. And here's number four. I want you to hold fast to the people of God in your life. The people of God. And there's two types of people, by the way, right? And there's only two types. There is the lost and there is the saved. It's the only two people. And by the way, everyone in here has both of those people in your life. I want you to guard, I want you to hold fast to the people of God in your life. I want you to hold fast to the lost Romans 10, verses 14 and 15 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I want you to know, I'll probably never meet your neighbor. I'll probably never meet him. You may be the only Jesus that they ever see in their life. I want you to think about those who don't know Jesus around your life. Do you value them along the way? How often do you pray for God to bring someone across your path so that you can share the hope that you have of Jesus in your life? Do we pray for that? You know, we, we have a class. Actually, it's going to be next week. Discover Westwood class. If you're, if you're a guest and you've been coming here and you say, how do I get more involved? How do I join the church? Next Sunday, um, we'll have at 11 o'clock, uh, we'll have a Discover Westwood class. That's how you can join this church and find out more. It's in that class, either myself or Scott Morton, Pastor Scott, will say this. And I tell everybody there. I said, I really don't care if you join this church. Really don't care. Because joining a church won't get you into heaven, will it? Right? Y'all, joining a church will not get you in heaven. And I'll say that to the people in that room, and I'll tell them, really, the only thing that I truly care about is that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And do you know that we have more people come to know Jesus and to discover Westwood class than any other platform that we have here in the church? And you know why? Because we ask. We ask them, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And by the way, that's the most important question you'll answer today. It's not whether or not I should join Westwood Baptist Church. Do I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? The lost. Do we have a love for the lost? The other people are the saved. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, the author says this, Let us hold on to the confession of our, help, of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
I don't know about you, but I believe Jesus is at the gate waiting for his father to say go. I think he's rare and Jesus is ready to go to come and rapture his church. He's ready to come to this place. Because he told his disciples here in John 14, listen, where I go, don't fear because where I go, I want you to be with me. I think Jesus is waiting right there for his father to say, it's time. Let's go. Let's go. Who has God entrusted to you to make an impact? And I'm going to close. Here's my impact point. Keeping Christ's commands is the path of righteousness and finding God's favor on your life. Let me say that again. Keeping Christ's commands is the path of righteousness and finding God's favor on your life. If we can hold fast to Christ's commands, that kind of love will bring two things. It'll bring a blessing in your life. Luke 11 says, even more, those who hear the word of God and keep it are blessed. John 14, 13 says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that my father may be glorified in the son. You will receive a blessing for holding fast to the things of God. And the second thing is, there'll be a peace. There will be a peace that abounds in your life. Psalm 119, it says, Abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction. Nothing makes them stumble. John 14, it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. If we hold fast, he's going to give you a blessing and he's going to give you peace in your life. And you may say, Rick, well, so how does that actually work? Okay, here's your homework. Y'all ready for some homework? Don't say yes unless you mean it, okay? All right. Every one of us travel up and down 65, right? North and south, right? I know you got to go to work. You travel up 65, right? Every day I travel 65 south from Vestavia down to here. There's a speed limit on I-65. Anybody know what that speed limit is? Yeah, now some of y'all just say that. You don't obey it, but you say it's 70. Okay. It's 70 miles an hour. This is what practically it looks like in holding fast to God's command. So I'm coming down the road. And inevitably, for some reason, it's always like a Prius or a Kia Soul that's flying, like doing 90. I don't know why. The guy in the Corvette is doing like 68. They're flying by me. And all of a sudden, they crest this hill. Listen, I've gone enough down on C5 to know where the, the, the law enforcement's going to sit, right? I know. They're flying by me. And I'm just sitting there going, if, if he is where he's supposed to be, they are dead. They crest the hill. Sure enough, there's a highway patrolman right there on my right. And I watch with a smile on my face. I mean, they hit the brakes. They go from 90 like to 30, just like that. They're scared to death, right? Panic begins to stricken their heart. I've been caught. And they'll do this. They'll have their rearview mirror and their side mirror. And they're doing this the whole time. They're waiting for what? Those blue lights to come on, right? Now, listen, I know I, you're going, Rick, you know this too well. It's because I've experienced it. 
this anxiety comes over you, right? There's no peace. All you're thinking about is I got caught. It's going to cost me 150 bucks. My insurance is going to go up, right? If for the next week you do 70 mile an hour on that interstate, look at me. Don't tell me you're going to do it without doing it, okay? Okay, because you're going to remember this. You're doing 70 mile an hour. I want you to know you can go 70 mile an hour and you never have to worry about getting stopped. You don't have to worry about there's 12 police officers there on the side of the road. You don't have to worry about when that blue light comes on because it's not for you. It's that Prius that was flying beside you. It brings, it brings a blessing because you don't have a ticket. It'll bring peace, right? You try it. I will guarantee it works. That's the way we should live our life. I call it righteous driving, right? Paying the speed limit. Righteous living. Holding fast to God's commands will provide that in your life. There will be a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I don't care what you're going through. Because the Word of God is embedded. You're holding fast to that. You're holding fast to the calling of God in your life. You're holding fast to the abundance of God in your life. And you're holding fast to the people of God in your life. And I want you to know it will provide a peace that surpasses all understanding. I promise you it works. It works. 